and welcome to Bay Desert Island Discs, brought to you each week by the Bay Desert community. In each episode, our guest will introduce their favourite pieces of music and we'll hear a little about how the musicians and songs have inspired them. For rights reasons, we are unable to share extracts of the music and so there will be a playlist available in the description box. And welcome to episode three of Bow Desert Iron Discs. And I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Richard Tiny. Hello, Richard. Hi there, Becky. Thank you very much for asking me. So I know that you've agonised over your choices. Um, it's very difficult to, to choose um, a select group of pieces of music. But I know that your first piece of music that you've chosen... You were inspired by this when you, uh, at the age of 10, started playing the clarinet. Yes. I had a brief spell being looked after one summer by a nanny called Cynthia Ashford, who played the oboe. And I used to listen to her practising her oboe, and she was very good at it. Um, And this led me, when term started again, to go to my music master, Mr Moore, and say, Sir, I'd like to play the oboe. And he looked at me and hummed and hard and said, well, can you play the clarinet? And so I thought, play the clarinet, that would make sense. I'll give it a go. Um, and so I was pushed into the care of Mr. Pashley, a kind of slightly rotund man who um, led me down the, down the path of, of the clarinet. And um, yeah, that, that was it. And I, I enjoyed it. And in a funny sort of way, bizarrely, when I was diagnosed diabetic in 1975, um, it meant that I spent more time, had more time to, to practice. And so I practiced and practiced and re- got reasonably good at the clarinet. Um, and this led me into the clutches of Crusell and his clarinet concerto number one. And I just loved that final movement, um, which has got such spring and joy in the rhythms of it um and i always wanted desperately wanted to try and play it but never could it was just too damn difficult it's still it's still a, be- a lovely piece of music and and is um yes yeah, pretty much like a, an early summer day colorful and luminous greens popping out all over the place and you're sort of out in the middle of it, enjoying that little bit of warmth um, that is just emerging from the ground. Um, of course, it's, it's got this sort of lovely skipping time signature. Yes, it's, yes. Yeah. Um, it's sort of almost a piece that makes you want to dance. Um, and so for those of you who, who aren't familiar with the, the form of a concerto, um, concertos were written by composers um, as a, a work that enabled the soloist to in a way, sort of show off, and um, they were virtuosic pieces of music. So there's a, the, a concerto always has a soloist, and then the orchestra are the are the accompaniment. And the sort of standard form of a concerto is in three movements. So um, they tend to be fast, and then a slow movement, and then a fast movement at the end. Um, you started to join choirs in teenage years. Do you want to explain a little bit about joining the choral society at school? Yes, and the, the, the Choral Society thing was was an interesting one. Um, a sort of greasy-haired, spotty teenager went along to Choral Society at Radley 
<clears throat> purely because his friends were going along and he didn't have anything else to do. And um, I, I was roped into um, rehearsing Handel's Messiah. And it was, it was fun. The, the singing was fun. And we came, eventually came to the, um, to the, the performance. And um, Radley was actually very good at <clears throat> managing to uh, get hold of uh, people from Oxford who could sing amazingly. I mean, the, amongst other um, instances, they, they had Leon Goosens, who was the principal oboist at uh, the London Symphony Orchestra for many years, and he came and played the clarinet con uh, oboe concerto many years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, a, a rather sort of strange-looking tenor showed up to sing the tenor parts, solo parts, uh, in The Messiah. And it's the first section after the introduction. Um, it's the first sort of voice that you hear. And literally within, I don't know, about two or three bars of Paul Elliott singing, um, I was absolutely gobsmacked. Um, the beauty of his voice, the power of the words. It, it was just extraordinary. Um, uh, you know, an, an epiphany. Mm. And from then, that moment on, I just really enjoyed um, that performance of Messiah and always promised myself that I would find a copy of him singing that part if I possibly could. Now, it's sort of, it, it shows that actually if you... Um or sort of step out of your comfort zone at different points in your life, you will um, discover new gems and new pieces of music that inspire you. So um, I would say to all of the children who are unsure of, uh, about joining a choir at, at Bow Desert, that this is a, a great example of um, how perhaps going your journey of going along to your first choral society uh, rehearsal, perhaps a little reluctantly, that actually it's turned into um, this discovery of a piece of music that you've continued to love. Absolutely. And, and it also, it sort of deepened uh, an interest in classical music that continues to this day. So, I mean, you know, you should never shut out opportunities, um, particularly to do something as natural as singing, um, because I think it is, it's so important. Um, even if you have a voice like a crow, it's still worth having a warble um, in a group, um, and it, it, make, it genuinely, genuinely makes you feel better. And of course, this oratorio um, is is written, it's composed by uh, George Friedrich Handel, and it's it's called the Messiah because it's telling the story of um, the birth of Christ. And um, an oratorio, for those of you who are not sure about this form of work, it's um, a work that was written to tell a story and that the music was performed a, a bit like a concert, really, where, uh, um, as Richard's explained, you'd have some soloists and an orchestra and a choir who would uh, sing the chorus um, sections of the work. And um, the, the form that came after an oratorio were um, opera. So, um, and that's when the idea of dressing up in costumes and uh, performing on stage uh, evolved. So um, a really... Uh, major work in the the history of Western music, um, this piece of music, and especially because of the the words are, are in English. Yes, I mean <clears throat> the, um, the the man who sort of took took the whole of the, the Bible 
and it really was the whole of the Bible because a lot of the extracts are from the Old Testament. Um, Charles Jennings, um, he managed, somehow managed to select just the most wonderfully relevant and interesting bits of text from the Bible for Handel to set to music. And just the combination is amazing. Suddenly the, there was singing, religious singing in English um, and not in Latin and not in German. And, you know, therefore it was accessible and remains one of the most popular oratorios uh, on the circuit for both amateurs and professionals. So I feel as though um, these choices, they're fantastic for us to listen to because they're in sort of chronological order because of this piece of music uh, you've chosen is by Mozart. Ah, yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah, the opening movement of his string quintet, um, Kirchel 515. Um, this, I, I've always loved chamber music because I love the idea of a small gathering of friends, um, who are anxious to create something beautiful, something memorable, something that they can all share. And the, there is a one, always, always, always a wonderful um, conversation between the instruments in a small grouping like that, which when you see it played, you can actually, you can see it happening. Um, you know, the melody might go from one instrument to another and back again and get modified and changed and so on. Um, but the thing about this particular piece is um, you know, everyone will, or most, a lot of people will be familiar with the idea of a string quartet, but this adds in another viola. Apart from anything, a flattering Mrs. Saunders all the <laughs> um, It just adds a, 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 a slightly greater depth and breadth to the music that's being played. And again, it's in a major key. It is an absolute joy. It's a celebration. It's it's happy in a very very um, pure and unalloyed way. And I think, yeah, it, it, no matter when when I listen to it, it makes me smile and it makes me feel great. So you know that's one of the reasons why it's there. It's a sort of a mood lifter. It's um it's interesting how our musical choices are so entwined with different emotions and how how the music makes us feel a lovely uh, optimistic and happy piece of music for you to all listen to the string quintet number two in C uh, by Mozart your next um, choice is by Beethoven and um, I wholly approve of, of this choice it's my favorite uh, symphony by Beethoven it's his um, sixth symphony called, often known as the pastoral symphony and um, he's specifically chosen the last movement Yes, the, the, the sixth is, is an amazing, amazing um, symphony. It doesn't have any, any strident opening. Um, you are sort of eased into it in a very relaxed and comforting way. And the final movement comes after what is, you know, what Beethoven describes as the storm, uh, a summer storm, um, with all the crashing and violence that one would expect. And then after that, you get this gorgeous gentle, uplifting celebration of life and scenery and pretty much everything that makes you happy um, at the end of it. And right at the, at the very end of it, in the, the, those final few bars, he lowers you back down again in the most wonderful, gentle, 
supportive way so that your journey through his pastoral symphony is complete and rounded and yeah perfect i think um so often we well i certainly tend to associate uh, music of of angst um with beethoven because of course you know as he was losing his his sense of hearing throughout his uh, career as a composer that he he was using the music to express his his frustration in many ways but i find that this piece of music is um so bright and um, it's very easy to listen to. And of course, it's a programmatic work. He, he wanted us to picture um, the, the lush countryside. So perhaps it's a great piece of music for, for the Tiley Trundle. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's very much one that, um, you know, <clears throat> will take you over the hills and dales. Um, and yeah, and it, it'll it'll make your the whole process of walking a lighter one. Um, it's yeah, there's there's something very 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 positive, strangely positive about it, which, um, as you pointed out, we don't normally expect from Beethoven. So your your next um, choice of music, we're sort of moving away from um, the Western classical tradition and more into jazz, and perhaps this ties in with. Um, you were sort of explaining to me that you started off on the clarinet and then moved on to the saxophone uh, later on in your career as a musician. But uh, this piece of music is a, a, a sublime piece of music for saxophone. The melody is just um, so beautiful. It's by Dave Brubeck and it's from the album uh, Time Out. It's called Strange Meadow Lark. Yes, <clears throat> Strange Meadow Lark. Dave Brubeck and the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Um were very much the sort of icons of, of the uh, jazz era, if you like, um, certainly in the 50s. Um, yeah, as a grumpy teenager, I was led to Dave Brubeck through um, Take Five, which is very much an iconic and extremely difficult to play um, piece of music. Um, but, it's a, you know, it's a great, it's a great song. Um, but it was on the same album that I discovered Strange Meadowlark. And it was, again, it was just such a relaxing antidote to, um, you know, other, other things like Blue Rondo a la Turk and, and a few of the other great Brubeck um, songs that, that came out on that album. And it's, it's kind of long and relaxing and has that sort of the, the feel of the countryside, if you like, uh, about it. Um, and you know Paul, uh, Paul Desmond, who plays the, um, the sax solo on it, is absolutely on top top form. So any saxophonists uh, out there in the Bow Desert community must listen to this. Um, it, it's it's lovely. It's a it's a real real delight, an absolute gem. We were we were talking about how it's. Um, perhaps a sort of jazz answer to Von Williams's Lark Ascending. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, though, of course, you know, the Vaughan Williams is, is you know, <laughs> it's hard to make the comparison, but yes, there, there yes, is... of course. There's that same sort of gentle lyricism to it, but uh, very much with an American vibe rather than an English one. So... Um, uh, another fantastic uh, suggestion for your playlists, everyone. That's um, Strange Meadow Lark by Dave Brubeck. Now, I can't help but feel there's a slight uh, hint of irony about your last choice, uh, Richard. It's um, Make Me Smile by uh, Steve Harley and the Cockney Rebels. 
Oh yeah, the the, the Steve Harley. I thought since there was there seems to be um, a chronological progression for my music, um, starting off in in the Baroque, then going to the classical, then on to the Romantic and jazz, and now something from um, from the days of my youth, if you like. Um, this was a, a great song. I first heard it played on um, Top of the Pops. And, the, the, you know, the one thing that, you know, pop songs always encourage you to do is to sing along. And quite often you take the, the, lead, the lead line. Uh, and um, you can do that with this. Uh, Steve Harley's words and the, the way he pronounces them is slightly strange. Um, but then there's also the alternative of singing the backing track. And I think, I don't know, that, that I'm sure if we did a survey of it, people who've heard it, that, they would, that you might find that there were more people who sing the backing vocalist line than the, uh, the, lead, <laughs> the lead singer. Um, it's great. It's fun. It's upbeat. And it's, it's kind of one of those classics from, I don't know, the sort of mid-70s that, um, that I, I really enjoyed then and strangely still enjoy now. A really fun piece of music. I now have to ask you if you were to choose one of the uh, your your selection, uh, which would be your Bow Desert Island disc of choice? Oh gosh, I think it would probably be the Mozart. Richard, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for your suggestions, and um, I would really encourage everyone to to listen to them, and if you can, to listen to them in the order that has been um, we've, we've talked about because it will sort of guide you through a history of music uh, in many ways as well. So thank you so much, Richard. Thank you very much indeed, Becky. Mm-hmm.